Well, hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blank. I am super excited that you're here. I have a real treat for you guys today because I'm sharing with you a discussion from a panel that was recorded at DealMaker Live last July 2019, where we talked about what's working to get deals under contract. Now, is it a little hard to find deals right now? Yeah, it's a little hard, but it's not really impossible because interestingly, surprisingly, shockingly, people are actually still doing deals. So would you like to know how they're doing it? Would you like to know what's maybe working and maybe what's a waste of time? All right, so that's awesome because that's what we're going to talk about here. So this is a panel of people who have a super high exposure to working with new investors because they are our mentors. Mentors meaning they're mentoring uh, students. We have a mentoring program called the Investor Incubator, and I've talked about it before. You can find more about that at uh, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor if you're interested. And today you're going to hear from a lot of the mentors on our team. Now, the reason they're here is they're full-time investors themselves or syndicators. Uh, they're uh, very active, and, and most of them have hundreds, if not thousands of units in their portfolio. But they also share my passion of teaching other people to do their first deal, quit their job, and achieve financial freedom. And so that's really why they're working for me. And you know what? They're not really that easy to find these kind of people because there's plenty of successful people out there, but not everyone really loves to share what makes things successful. And these people, of course, are the exception. And I'm really excited to share this with you. It was super well received at DealMaker Live, uh, which, by the way, is coming up again this July, July 16 to 18, at the same place where we were at last time. So tickets are not quite available yet for sale, but you can save the date July 16 to 18 at the Hilton Anatole, the same exact place where we're in last year. Let me introduce you really quickly to our panelists here. In no particular order is Drew Whitson. He's obviously a full-time multifamily investor, as all of our mentors are, and he's really passionate about his teaching. In fact, after he quit his job from his passive income, he took a professorship at his alma mater in Bethel, teaching finance, including, of course, multifamily investing. And as a side note, he does use the syndicated deal analyzer as a teaching tool. Ha! <laughs> Way to go, Drew. He's also heading up our mentoring program as well. So uh, the second person is Drew Niffen. He started off as one of our mentors, but he's now president of our investment company, Nighthawk Equity. And he also used to run the Deal Desk. The Deal Desk is our partner program where people can bring us deals and we essentially raise the money for them. We've done, gosh, nine deals, 10 deals now, totaling 1,200 units in this in this one. The last one we did was a 218 unit in Little Rock, Arkansas by Anthony Metzger. Anthony, for listening, shout out to you, my brother. Good job bringing us that deal, and we closed that. I interviewed him in episode 196, if you want to go deep on that one. Garrett Lynch is also, he's not one of our mentors, but he's our director of acquisitions, which means that he is in the trenches himself making offers, and he's dealing with a lot of the same things that you guys are and trying to make offers and buying stuff. So he's on, on the panel. Josh Sterling came on board a little bit over a year ago. And obviously full-time, not only is he a full-time investor and syndicator, but he's also got his own property management company. He brings a, a whole new perspective to it. And he loves to fly. And in fact, he just got a second plane. He sold his old one. And now he's got a really big one, like a 15-seater. And I once asked him, hey, uh, Josh, what's the ROI on a plane like that? And he goes, Michael, there is no ROI. I just want it. <laughs> So, hey, you got to spend your money in, in some way or another. So he loves to travel a lot and, of course, teach as well. Andrew Kuhn is on the on the panel. He's our newest mentor, uh, along with Phil Capron. Phil actually used to jump out of planes with the Navy SEALs and do a bunch of crazy stuff for us. He's also mentoring for us. And Josh Thomas is also on the panel because he speaks to yeah, a lot of – he does a strategy sessions where when you when you call in – 
and he explores whether mentoring is right for you. And if not, he'll guide you in another way. So he's got a lot of perspective, especially around what motivates people, what makes people successful, and maybe some less. So, hey, if you're ready for it, let's learn all about what's working now to get deals under contract. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Block. All right, so you guys are dealing with, with new investors, okay? With new people who want to do what you've done. They want to do the first deal. They want to quit their job. Now, in your opinion, what is like their biggest fear when they first come on board? So definitely one of the biggest things that people have hurdles or mental roadblocks with is not only the self-confidence in themselves. And when you're learning about real estate uh, and you're getting you know familiar with the asset class and how transactions work and all of that, you really, really got to also spend the time on your inner game. My belief is that you're not going to win the outer game of life until you win the inner game. And so you need to get comfortable being aware of where you are in your progress, understanding that you're going to screw up and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Mm. So the first time you put an offer out on a 25 unit, a 50, a hundred unit, it's going to feel so uncomfortable and humans are creatures of habit and comfort. And so the thing is though, is that if you don't focus on putting yourself out there, doing things for the first time, screwing up and failing more, that's the way that you accelerate your growth. And so a lot of it comes down to self-confidence and working on the inner game first. So. Yeah, so growth happens at the edge of your comfort zone is kind of what you're saying. That's so true. Okay. Anyone else about biggest fears that you... Because obviously the next one is how do we how do we overcome these? Because obviously your, your students are overcoming these somehow. Even they have them in the beginning, somehow they're they're getting over them. Yeah, uh, I'll piggyback a little bit on what Josh said there. I think by far the most common fear I see is uh, people's fear that they're going to have the inability to raise the money. Um, so a little shout out to Cheryl Gervey is going to talk later today. I think it is right. Yeah, um, it's going to be a great story. And Cheryl basically had to. I, I won't spoil her story, but uh, she had to approach raising that capital from a bunch of different angles and was able to successfully uh, close her first deal a few months ago. It's a pretty interesting story about how you can come in and and approach this from a KP standpoint and from a capital raiser and then raising some of the funds herself and, and the different ways you can make it work. Let's, let's hone down on some of those uh, objections and, and fears they have. I think that the two main ones, you talk about persistence, so maybe lack of activity or misguided activity on the one hand, or, or, or not being taken seriously by by uh, brokers, right? That's a, the big fear. They're going to call me. They're, they're going to laugh at me. They're not going to call me back. They're going to ask me for proof of funds. And third is this, this fear of raising money. So let's pick one of them. So someone coming coming in, they don't have a lot of confidence in themselves. Um, how are they, you know, how is someone like a Jake Volner or Anthony, right? They're, they're coming. How are these guys, and these are guys are younger, obviously, right? How are they somehow successful at getting the broker to take them seriously and, and awarding them a deal? Like, how is that done? What, is, what steps do you take someone through to get them to the point where a broker basically says, yeah, yeah, um, you know, submit, submit me an offer? So something that, uh, that I push with, uh, with everyone I work with here is um, I think sometimes there's a false belief you're going to just call brokers and say, I'm looking for a 150-unit deal in this market, and they're going to start sending you deals. That, In my opinion, that doesn't really work. Mm. What I always encourage the people I work with to do is go out and analyze those deals. Get on those brokers' sites. I, I'm going through an exercise where they'll get on LoopNet, create a list of all the brokers in the area, 
into an Excel sheet, something you can track, and then once a week they're going to those broker's sites, pulling all those broker's deals, and then refreshing that list off LoopNet every two to three weeks. What they're doing is they're analyzing the actual deals that the broker has and giving that broker feedback, and you gain a lot more respect, and the broker has confidence that you actually know what you're doing and actually might be able to close a deal. So I've seen good success with that. Yeah, another way I think that uh, people are looking for deals, they speak with brokers, and they say, I'm looking for a deal. I want to do a multifamily deal. And the broker says, what are you looking for? And they say, send me everything you have. I want <laughs> anything between this and that. And I think while you're trying to cast a wide net to capture any potential deal, you look like you don't know what you want. Okay, So I think you have a better chance of getting a broker sending you a deal, taking you seriously, if you're very specific about what it is that you want. I want to buy a property between 3 and $4 million. I want it to be a B plus value add deal north of this road, south of that area. And so while it might sound like what you're telling the broker is something very narrow, what you're also communicating mm -hmm. to them is, I know exactly what I want. I'm a serious buyer. Uh. And then that broker will be able to fish and find things for you. So when something fits your criteria, they're going to know who to be thinking of. Um, so I use that strategy. Be specific because it communicates intentionality, communicates that you're educated about the market, um, and it educates, it, it communicates that you are a serious buyer. Um, the other thing is, realistically, guys, there's so many looky-loos out there that are going on LoopNet, pushing the button, hey, send me information. That is commonplace in, in the market. And so all you have to do to separate yourselves and, and, and become a standout in the broker's mind for them, but one of the major things just to take them seriously is to, is to give them news back on the deal they send you, good or bad, in a timely fashion. So it, it can be bad news. You could get the, the deal and it could not work out, not pencil out, but have a reason behind why it doesn't pencil and respond to the guy within 24 hours, 48 hours. Hey, this is why this one isn't going to work for us, but we'd love to continue to work with you and, and get a deal done. And you'll start to see you're building these relationships with people and that the, the brokers will take you much more seriously if you just give them a response back. And this Come is, back with questions. This is this is why the scenarios tab and the, the syndicate deal analyzer is so is so useful, right? You're talking to him in terms of price uh, and NOI and you know and, and cap rate. That's the terms that they understand. I remember asking one one broker, "Hey, how many people on your list actually ever get back to you?" And it was like twenty percent. So if yeah. you are one of those twenty percent, you're you are also in the top twenty percent of this broker's you know in, in broker's mind. And I take it a step further, and I try to give them an offer if I like the deal within twenty four to forty eight hours. Sure, that sets me apart from a lot of people. So now they're they're like, if that one doesn't work out for whatever reason, they know that they they'll come back to me and they'll get a similar thing. And I tell them straight up, I'm like, listen, if I like a deal, I will get you an offer within twenty four to forty eight hours. If not, I'll come back with questions. And if I don't like it, I'm just going to straight up tell you. Yeah, and that just takes elevates it a little bit further. But realistically, that baseline method, it, it works really well. What, what else What else can people do to be taken seriously by your brokers? Any other thoughts? So, Maybe not from you, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing about working with brokers, you need to understand that you are actually the one selling the broker the broker is not the one selling you, right? So you want to establish your credibility. You want to establish and show that you know how to underwrite a deal. You want to prove that you're proficient in the basics of their, their profession, really. Uh, so if you look 
brokers represent the sellers. We're now at the top of a market cycle where they have way more buyers than they do product to bring on the market. And so you can tell yourself a story that, well, I'm going to be the guy who's going to buy this deal and this broker is going to walk away with $150,000 commission. But remember that you need to be going above and beyond and continually reselling yourself of why he should call you first. And so this is something to know about the multifamily space. It's completely different from the single family uh, for those of you who came from there. So brokers usually have one, maybe two chances tops to sell a property for a seller. So who they pick needs to be a closer because if he's not a closer, they could lose the deal and their stakes are pretty high, you know, $100,000, $200,000 commissions. And so they are going to always have a pocket list of guys that they know can close deals, have cash, can successfully turn deals around and be repeat buyers. They call them first. The last three deals I bought were pocket listings off market and they brought them to me because they know I'm a closer. And also, I also let them know that if I sell, they get to sell it as well. We have a lot of collectors in our market, but you know, it's future income for them as well. So like there's all these little things that when you add them together are greater as a sum of the whole than the individual. Let's drill down a little bit because my observation is a lot of the deals that get done are slightly off market or completely off market. So how can a new person get to the point where they're getting essentially off-market deals? Like, how do you get there? How, how long does it take? What can they do? So I have this hierarchy of deals I always tell people about that deals are a quality in this order. This is, this is the order you want. Uh, first would be direct off-market from a seller. A seller calls you up. There's no broker involved. Brings you a deal. I don't know about you guys. That just doesn't happen to me. Right. Uh, I wish it did. A second would be broker first look is what I call it. But kind of what Andrew was talking about where a broker will call you before this deal hits the market. I've even had a deal that uh, I can remember recently we put under contract and then the mailing went out on it two weeks later and I got a postcard about the deal we already had under contract. <laughs> but they're, they're calling certain people first and that happens a lot. Third would be from a broker's site. You go to a, most brokers nowadays have, have every property that they have listed on their site and those are there. And then last is going to be LoopNet. And same thing with, with the first category. I've never bought a deal off LoopNet. I know some have, but typically those aren't the best deals. They've, those have been picked through. And so to get there, to get to that broker first look or, or somewhat off market, if you want to call it that, um, again, really it's going to hit the market. You have to be a known closer. The broker has to know that either you can close and you will close deals or that you've got the capacity to do that. But how do you do that? So you, I, I believe, like I was saying earlier, you do that through uh, sound analysis and feedback, kind of like you guys said down there. So instead of calling a broker saying, I'm looking for generally like this, you say, I looked at this 46 unit you have listed. I looked at this 150 unit you have listed here. This is where I would be at on my number. You give them feedback on five, six, eight deals. They also see you. Each time you click on a deal on any broker's site and you download the financials, they know who's downloaded each deal. Your name starts to pop up more and more and more. Next thing you know, they're going to start calling you. Another thing that we see doing, if you've gone through my course, I, we literally teach don't hop on a plane before you have it on a contract, which sounds like pretty good. But we've had now people kind of violate that rule and they will go out before they have something on a contract. Now, what that does, what that has done, I think David Camaro's, uh, you're speaking later on today. And, you know, Kyle Jones, for example, I know uh, that's how he got Chattanooga. He, they actually hop on the plane and they start building a relationship with the broker proactively. Okay. And it, it seems to accelerate this process. And so that's another thing that we see that's uh, that's 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 helping as well. 
one reason I have this event here, and we have these first deal tags. If you see some people with first deal, talk to those people. They just did their first deal. Okay, that's a it's a it's a big deal because if they can do it, maybe you can do it. Actually, most likely you can do it. And the more you talk to these people, the more you start believing that you can. And that's really critical. It's a good point. I'd like to shift a little bit more. I think the other main problem, I think you identified it in the beginning, is most people have this belief that they can't raise any money. How are you guys, I mean, how are people magically raising money? How do they go from, I don't think I can do this, to raising $760,000? So something I do on my, uh, my, my background, I don't come from a high net worth family or anything like that. In fact, my dad's actually worked for my company a few times over the last few years. My mom was a school bus driver. So I don't come from a network of, of people that uh, can contribute. But over the years, I learned to start building an investor list. And, and so now on all my calls, the very first call, we start this. Um, and I have people start making lists right then and there. Uh, I, I prefer to keep it in like an iPhone or something you have with you all the time. Just in notes. All you need is a name, a contact method, phone or email, and then how much you think they might be able to contribute. Right? Nobody has to know they're on your investor list. But if you start this day one, I have people start on that first call. Add to that list consistently. You'd be surprised at how quick that list can grow to hundreds and hundreds of people. Now, you might have 300 people on there and 250 might tell you no when you actually ask them for capital. But if you don't start developing that list right out of the gate, you're never going to get there. Just to uh, piggyback on what Josh just said, if you take out your phone right now and look at your contact list, everybody in this room has an investor list already has their contact info, knows how to get a hold of them, and has crossed paths with someone before at some point in their lives, and they were important enough to put in your phone for future use, right? And so if you already have gold mines in your own network, before you even step outside and start to network with groups where high net worth individuals will work and play. So that's a big thing. One thing that we teach our students um, as mentors is that it's a great, the best time to ask someone for money is when you don't need it, <laughs> right? Michael's Law of the First Deal is preceded by get a sample deal package and start having conversations with people when you're not looking for money. Simply get an opportunity to have the conversation. Is this something that you're interested in? If something came along in the future, how much would you be able to invest? And so by having a conversation with someone with no pressure to make a decision, Right? No pressure to make a decision. Mm -hmm. You can have them have the opportunity to think about it, ask questions without actually having to ask them for money. So when their deal does come around, right? when your actual deal does come into fruition, um, it's not a new concept to them. They've seen what you want to do. They understand your values. They understand your return requirements. They understand your team. So I think the key to success in raising money is getting that, getting a chance to talk about what you're doing without actually having to ask for an investment at that time because that's priming the pump for when you do have a deal. That's good. Yep. Yeah, and uh, a, a lot of us have been to meetups around where we live that are real estate focused, but they're often focused on wholesaling single-family homes or flipping single-family homes. And I was just at lunch a little bit ago, and I was talking to the people at my table about how for every one person that's looking at multifamily, there's 10 doing that because that is much easier to sort of mentally understand. Right. But at the same time, a lot of people, they, they intuitively know that scale matters and that multifamily is a better option. And so if you can go to your meetup, even if you don't haven't done a deal and to say to the meetup organizers, Hey, could I just give a, a, a talk on, on multifamily and just kind of give a 101? You know, you've, you've already seen the slides here. Almost just repeat that. You will be perceived by people in that room as somewhat of an authority. And then afterwards, naturally after that, some people come up to you and talk to you, talk to you about that, and that can build your investor list. So 
It's a very natural way to add value to that meetup, to those people in that area. They're a natural audience because they're already invested in uh, real estate as a general asset class. And they're going to be easy, natural conversations to have. So that's one thing I've seen be very successful with people before. And it's something that really anyone in here could do. I'm not going to bring it home this time. I'm going to go the complete other direction. <laughs> so we've established there's a lot of fear on the first LOI, the first PSA, the first deal. But if you listen to Michael's podcast or follow him at all, you know about the law of the first deal and how important that is. So asking people for money passively, that can be kind of, I get where the fear comes from. The way that I've structured most of my deals to date is as general partnerships or joint ventures. So I take a contractor, a property manager, a lawyer, and a CPA, because we all want to do this because we see how cool it is. 100, 150, 75. All of a sudden, we just bought a $2 million building. And we didn't go through all the process of and potential awkwardness of that. And now we are all involved in the steering of this asset. We're into a deal. Now, when we go to the banks, we're into the brokers, we're a lot more credible. So that's something that... Well, you bring up a good point, and you're the first one to mention that, is you have these GP partners, but a lot of people are joint venturing on stuff. So isn't that a great way to raise money? And how are people doing that? I just, I create a team of people that are useful to me in the deal, and then I also need some money from them. (laughs) And we go together and and do deals. So you're going to have trouble doing a $10 million deal that way. But if you're out looking for your first deal, maybe it's the 20 unit, the 50 unit that's flying under the radar of a lot of the bigger investors who it's not worth their time. But if you're keeping you know, 25% of a 50 unit deal, I'll tell you what, that's pretty significant for most people. Yeah. So it's, it's an option for you. Anything else around the joint venturing? My observation is a lot of people do their joint venture and they joint joint venture with more experienced syndicator, potentially a capital raiser or two. How is that? What are, what are people doing there? How is that working? Anyone, anyone else? I'll say really quick that uh, of the people that, that I've kind of put through in into this universe here, most of them don't end up doing a deal by themselves. Yeah, very few do. Another. You yeah. Know, you, yeah. you, that, that's a valuable lesson right there. You, you, you come into this you know, kind of warm planet that Michael has created and we're all kind of <laughs> orbiting around. And then you find this other guy and you're like, hey you're okay. And then you start working together and all of a sudden you're more effective. You know, if you're a numbers guy and the other person is, is better with people, you know, that's a good combination. If there's something that you're great at and now deal analysis and somebody else is great with due diligence, that's a great partnership. But I, I rarely see anybody just kind of come through and lone wolf this thing. So that's, that's the biggest thing I've seen. So the bottom line really is this people are doing deals. Clearly, I see it, right? I see people doing deals all over. I'm just seeing them do small deals, big deals in the big cities and rural areas. People are doing the deals. The question is, you know, who is there a pattern of people who are successful? And I think the pattern is the following. It is hustle and consistency, and they kind of go together. But they all have in common that they're hustling, right? It's a definitely a numbers game. Anyone who's ever done any kind of single-family house investing knows that, without argument, single-family house investing is a numbers game. Now, oddly, when we get into multifamily space, people say, oh, I, you know, I've made a few offers, but none got accepted. This must not be working. Okay? No, it's a numbers game, just like it is with single-family house. It's a numbers game. And so the people who are doing deals are, are hustlers, and they don't just hustle for a month or so. No, they are committed to the outcome. And that's my advice to you is, if, if you're committed to the outcome, which is doing your first deal, 
and you know that if you do your first deal, you quit your job, commit to that first deal and don't have goals. This is the old school way of setting goals. I'm going to have my first deal in the next six months. That might be a great goal and it's very actionable and very and very specific and measurable. But what happens if you don't get it in six months? Are you going to give up on the first day after that deadline expires as a failure, disappointment and frustration and depression? No, that makes no sense. Because in that six months, you've learned so much, you've added so much to your experience that you're very, very close to doing your first deal. And now it's just a matter of time. So instead of putting so much pressure on yourself, just commit to the outcome. Continue doing the activity as long as it takes until you're successful and do your first deal. So consistency is key. Don't give up. I'd love to hear from you if you're listening to this on iTunes and, and podcasts, as I do. I love to listen to podcasts. But we're also airing these things on YouTube now these days. You can watch the video of these on YouTube. And the advantage of YouTube is that, well, not only can you see me, but you can actually engage in the comments. And I'm starting, you know, I'm, I'm on there as well. I'm monitoring and saying hi and answering questions. So Share with me on YouTube, find this thing on YouTube, share with me the, and the rest of the dealmakers, what's worked for you recently? I'd love to hear your thoughts, what's worked for you recently as well. Uh, I want to shout out a couple of things. First of all, Dealmaker Live is in fact uh, going to be in July, July 16 to 18 in Dallas at the Hilton Anatole, the same place we were in yesterday, last year. And it was just a fabulous place. It's hard to describe if you weren't there. And I know a lot of people told me afterwards, they, they followed along on social and, and, and they're definitely going to be there in July. It's just a very, very, very special place. And the group of people that were was really, really special. It's, it, it's, I was just floored by the community we had there. And we're going to have it in the same exact place. Now, we're, we're not increasing the audience at all. I know there's you know, probably a lot more people that want to be there. Um, the tickets are not yet on sale, but they will be on DealmakerLiveEvent.com. It's DealmakerLiveEvent.com is going to be the, the website. And uh, when this airs, uh, just a few days later, we'll probably announce that the tickets are going on, on sale for that. So for now, just save the date and just look for your emails if, um, if you're on our email list. If not, look for DealmakerLiveEvent.com and hit refresh every an hour until those tickets go on, <laughs> go on for sale. So make sure you check that out. And again, if you're interested in working with some of the people on the panel, the mentors you have, and you feel like mentoring is something to you, for you, you really see the value in mentoring, then schedule a strategy session with, uh, with, with us. Um, most likely we'll be talking with Josh Thomas on that call. That is at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a strategy session call and to see if mentoring is right for you. Really excited about that program. Uh, in fact, we actually guarantee that you get your first deal done in the first 12 months. But like I just told you, 12 months is a good timeline, but we're committed to the outcome, which means that if it takes you longer, we'll continue working with you until you do. So, uh, and we can only do it because we know our program works and, and we know we can get results for you. So if that's right for you, check it out. And anyway, so I hope this encourages you to keep doing what you're doing, okay? In a lot of cases, people say, hey, what am I doing wrong? What should I start doing? And I ask them a few questions. They're doing all the right things, guys, okay? They're doing all the right. It's just a consistency of making offers, meeting with investors, and building your team, okay? And if you're doing all those things, it's just a matter of time. All you got to do is keep doing it. It's just a matter of time. So don't get frustrated by the time that you may have spent on it. Commit to the outcome and pay less attention to the time. So keep on going and keep hustling and just keep doing it. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.